Laser Hits, the summer of 89. PSC. Laser Hits, the winter of 19. It's coming days from now on Brave New Radio, 88.7. WPSC, Wayne, New Jersey, on the campus of the University of William Patterson. This is great radio. I'm your professor, David Kirkfield, here with my good friend, Olivia. Olivia, say hello into one of the microphones. Hello. And we also have Ashley Weltner there. Say hi, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. And then uh, our good friend, Dr. Esteban Marconi, who had been indisposed for a moment, is back. He was on assignment, and now he's back. This is our special two-hour episode of Music Biz hour, 101 and more. This is hour number two. If this is the podcast, it's hour number one. If you're listening live, it's hour number two. We took about a three-minute break, about as long as... What was that song that you played, Ashley? Um, it was by a George Gershwin song. Love is Here to, Love is here to See, to Stay, Dinah Crawl, to See by Dinah Crawl, uh, actually written by George Gershwin, maybe Ira, performed on background by our good friend Bill Sharlap, who we just had on the air, and that was Dinah Crawl and Tony Bennett. We're Music Biz 101 and more. Were they here? What? Were they here? Who? Dinah Crawl and yeah, Tony? Tony? Yeah, they're actually uh, still here uh-huh. right now. They're just okay. in the background off microphone because um, they just ramble way too much, <laughs> and it's not what we want. So Music Biz 101 and more. We're on Brave New Radio in a few moments. Our next guest, Michael Parker, who's the manager of a and Remix for Atlantic Records, is going to give us a jingle. Meanwhile, we have to say thanks. We should give some thanks. We'll do oh. our intro so we have Dr. Stavon Marconi over there. Yes. Making things happen because that's what he does. Okay. All right, Dr. Stavon. <laughs> we also have Ashley Veltner with Broken Ribs, who is behind making the engineering feat take place. You're not behind as in you're late. You're just behind a board physically. Your body is behind the board. And the phone is ringing. And the phone is ringing. But we have. Uh, just still give our thanks. And by the way, we have Olivia Cedron here. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Cedron. Cedron. Olivia Cedron, which sounds like a uh, something I would take if I have a headache. Take two Cedron and call me in the morning. So um, let's see. Follow us on Music Biz 101 WP. Sign up for the newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram that fits or the fast the book at Music Biz 101 WP. The podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Spotify. Let's give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you're ready. And we should also give thanks to Christine. They, a wealth manager and the president of They Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance to Christine planning, retirement planning, give Christine a call at Olivia. Repeat after me. 732-435-435. Four fifty-five. One thousand five hundred ten. One thousand five hundred ten. You can also email her, Christine at veywealth.com for advisement. Leave the last oil out for savings. And that's all we could ask you to do. We could also ask you to head on over to backwingstore.com or Barnes and Noble or Amazon marketing <laughs> managing your band. Right. This, we're doing a poor job of marketing the book, but managing your band six edition is out. It's also available for Kindle. 
for those of you who want to purchase something on day four of Hanukkah 2018, I believe. And then we also have Christmas coming up. And then there are other holidays, Arbor Day, Flag Day, MLK Day. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, those are good, good holidays also. William Patterson, the university, the University of William Patterson, where Olivia is considering attending. It's between us and Pace University, my second alma mater. You're scaring her now. I know. She sat in on one of my classes today. Uh-oh. And she said it met her expectations. That does not mean her expectations were high. It just says it met her expectations. And she actually came back tonight. And she came back tonight. I think her parents kicked her out of the house, and she really just needs a place to uh, hang while it's warm because it gets very cold at night here in the winter of New Jersey. Of course. Technically, it's still autumn for three more weeks. So William Patterson, the university, our music business program is ranked one of the best in the United States of America. Is it not, Dr. Stabon? By Billboard magazine, that's right. And so we thank the people at Billboard magazine, and the check is in the mail. Mm -hmm. And now is our best friend ever, Michael Parker, with us. Oh, that's right. Ashley, the pain from her broken ribs. Michael, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Michael, we are here. It's great to speak with you again. This is the second time today we've spoken, Michael. How great has this day then been for you? Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Just hearing your voice makes it better. That's what my wife says every morning when she tells me to move over. All right. (laughs) And and by the way, it sounded like you said fun-tastic instead of fantastic, which makes you the man of the hour. Yes. Man of the hour, Michael Parker. So, Michael, you're (laughs) good luck to you, Michael, for this next 50 minutes or so. You're Uh, the manager of A&R and Remix for Atlantic Records. That's what your official title stated on LinkedIn. Is that correct, or do you have a better title than that? No, no, that is, I mean, we don't get too technical at our record label, but that's probably the best way to put it. All right. All right. Thank you. Right. So uh, thank you for coming on. And putting up with this for the next uh, hour. And thanks to Paul Sinclair, by the way. Yes. Without Paul Sinclair of Atlantic, we would not have you on, and you would not be right. experiencing what you're going through right now. So and, thank and him. Too. All our listeners want to talk about A and R. I mean, just about everybody else mentioned that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about? Um, I mean, when I was uh, I was on Epic Records in the '70s, and of course, A and R meant airports and restaurants, and uh, I don't know if it still <laughs> means that or. <laughs> Yours is a little different, being in Remix. So why don't you just sort of uh, tell the listeners what you do? Sure. So I wear a lot of hats for the company, which is why my title is so confusing, because they couldn't figure out a way to stick them all together. Mm -hmm. Um, I am three things, currently. I am an A&R. I have my own clients. I am kind of the head of our theater division mm. and i also run what we would kind of call the the remix division mm-hmm. of all of atlantic group um and those are three really different things and the day they combine is my worst nightmare if i have <laughs> to start remixing broadway i quit uh, <laughs> but right oddly enough there are three things i love I would hate if I was pigeonholed into one specific thing. And at the end of the day, good music is just good music. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had uh, we've had Riggs Morales on uh, and Peter Gamberg's friends of our, of, of anyway, the mm-hmm. program. So we're uh, sort of inside that uh, Atlantic A&R a little bit. Amazing. So they're, they're my people. Right. I've... Uh, 
I've worked for Pete for five years. I started right out of college as Pete's assistant um, and worked my way up. Um, I owe everything to that man. Um, so I, I've been there. I've been in the trenches. Uh, I've seen every job an A&R person could have and, mm-hmm. and continue to do it. Now you were an intern. You interned at Atlantic? I Yes, I interned at Atlantic. In A&R? So eight, yeah, in A&R maybe eight ah, years ago. So what do they Amber have an intern do? What, what does an intern do in A&R? Uh, well, you know, things have changed. Mm-hmm. Back then it was a lot of, you know, seeing shows. Going to clubs. And digging, so yeah, digging for things. Now, these days it's all internet-based. Mm-hmm. But at the core of it, an internship in A&R is a scout. It's find find music. Find music I haven't heard of, but I should hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether that's now more internet-based today or the old-school way of connections and clubs, the course, the same. Right. All right. Uh, we, had, uh, we were up at Atlantic last Friday, and Dave, who was... Um the last person we saw from the dance label, Joe um, Gina Gina Tucci, Gina Tucci from Big yeah, right. uh, Big Beat, right? And yeah. she was yeah. uh, she had a million jobs in the company that she told us about, but she was also um, whose assistant Gina had been uh, Cal- uh, uh, Gina had been Cal- Craig Craig Hellman Craig Hellman yeah. Yeah, she was with Craig Kalman, and she said, I want to do A&R, and I want to... It's the story she told us. I want to do A&R, and I want to do A&R, and uh, this is really what I want to do, so would you give me... I want to leave assistantship, and I want to go and do this. And he said... Uh, he said one question. He said, you know, A&R is, of course, the revenue of the uh, label. He said, so what have you brought to me? So she was shocked, like she would... That was part of something she would do. And he said, well, you are you want to be an A&R. You have privy to 13,000 of my contacts. How come you haven't brought me a hit? And you bring me a hit, and then we'll talk about you going to A&R. And it's basically exactly what you're saying, that she wanted to be an A&R. And you were saying, even as an intern, you go out, you don't find me the Rolling Stones, you find me the next Rolling Stones, or that might be a bad example. But that's what he was saying to her. He said, prove it, and you should be chomping at the bit with all these people that haven't been discovered that you have discovered already. And then, long story short, she did do that through a series of circumstances, and she, obviously, she's a head of our head of A&R at Big, uh, she's, uh, Big Beat, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, and also the GM of the label, too. Yeah, and GM of the label. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's, it, and it's, I actually I split my time between Atlantic proper and Big Beat. Uh, Again, I wear too many hats. So right, uh, it just comes down to kind of how genre agnostic I am. Right, and that was going to be my next question. So where do you sit comfortably in what genre? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which yeah, I I really don't care what the genre is. Uh, I I just like good music and that's where it kind of stems out of and luckily we live in a world that's purely consumer driven these days so someone out there if it is good will consume it and i can make money from it Mm -hmm. it's the living in spotify and apple times is 
definitely the right time period for me to be in. All right. So someone wants to get into A&R, is there homework they have to do? In other words, do they have to know the the background, the history of that genre? Do they have to be able to determine what is good and what isn't good? And that'll be another question we'll ask you. But do you, do you feel that there's, you go out and you have to do your homework, you have to get it together before you can do this or just walk in and say, well, I got big ears, I can, I can tell you this? So I, I, get, I feel like I'm going to answer this differently than a normal person would. And if Pete Gambarg is listening in right now, he might fire me. <laughs> um, I don't think it's so much about the homework. I am not a music history buff, and nor are a lot of the A&Rs, and Pete yells about, us, yells about it constantly. Um, it's, to me, the homework is the connection. The, the, the time you spend into becoming an A&R is purely connection-based. It's you ought to know who are the biggest writers right now, who are the biggest producers, who are the hot, unsigned artists. And it's your job to be talking to the right people. That's the homework you do. It's who manages those people, who publishes those people, who, who is the agent for those people. Those are the people you ought to know, and that's where you should be spending your time. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think someone in college trying to break into the industry will learn a hell of a lot more about uh, a hell of a lot more from, you know, digging into the billboard chart and learning who's actually writing and producing these songs mm-hmm. than they will opening a music history textbook. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's history happening right now anyway, and it's more relevant to that particular job. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I there's, there's, Two things I recommend whenever I get a young person looking for an internship or something beyond an internship. The first thing is, you know, study the people that actually make the music. Learn everything you can about them. You need to know every writer, producer, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should know it by heart. And you should know because when, when you're working with an artist, you're going to have to have those connections for that artist or you're not going to be successful as an A&R. Um, the other thing is the, the don't stop yourself from reaching out, whether you're in college or wherever. It's the easiest way to get involved in the music industry is to just get involved in the music industry. Mm-hmm. It's the, just write the manager of the artist you love and say, hey, can I do something? Can I help? How can I help? No one's going to say no, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get a job in the music industry. Mm -hmm. We're going to hire the kid that helps with the management of something, or we're going to hire the kid who uh, is in the scene more than the one that, you know, maybe had the internships or did the schoolwork. Mm -hmm. Is that what you did? Because you you had uh, various internships, and you even interned for Atlantic at one point, and then left, did other things, and then ended up in Atlantic. Did you do some of the things you were just talking about? Uh, So I went a very strange path. Uh, I interned at Atlantic, my first real internship of college. Um, I went to Wash U, St. Louis. I was a business school student. Um, I started going down the path of doing music and business and quickly realized I'm a really bad musician. Terrible. (laughs) So 
it that quickly just became business with you know a little bit of music minor um and i interned at atlantic my first real internship left it hating it left it saying anr is backwards like this is not how we should be finding acts there has to be a better way and i took all that back and uh, at that time i then entered into the entrepreneurship program at atlantic and took all of that knowledge of the world out there is backwards and this is pre-spotify pre any like real music discovery and built a little company with some friends that was one of the first human aggregated music discovery websites and that was my way of thinking like i just came out of this experience thinking it's all backwards let me try to fix it and that was my step into the industry. I'm not. I'm not the person who managed someone. I'm not the. I was a very terrible DJ. Uh, <laughs> but that was my foray, foray into just doing the music industry was to just build it myself. And through a long winding road, that landed me right back where I was. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just looking at your LinkedIn profile. You toiled away. You did the entry-level assistant position for over two years, and you were the coordinator for closer to three years before you finally got to where you are right now, and you've been there for a couple of years. So you've been there for a while, and you've really put in some time. Right, right. Well, no, I was, I was a coordinator for only a few months. It was, you know, I, I've, been, I've been in my current role now for about two years. Uh, so it's, it's been about five years since I've been there. But, it, you know, it, it is a grind, and uh, I'm a firm believer in my time spent as an assistant was necessary to learn stuff they're just not going to teach you in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a lot of it is uh, school can help you with the internships to get there, but once you're there and then you're doing it, that's where you really – your eyes open up. Definitely. Sure. So what um, – I guess a little bit more for our listeners – then as the head of remix for A&R, mm-hmm. and you just said I would die if I had to remix a Broadway show or whatever, why don't you talk a little bit about what that, that part of your job is? Uh, so on the remix side, uh, I'm essentially a one-man department for a large chunk of releases that are anything that is a remix of our owned master works. So that's a lot of music. You're thinking about all the major pop singles we Uh. put out and then the three or four remixes we may put out of that thing, no matter what they are. And I'm talking about everything from your EDM DJs to your rappers. That's a lot of stuff. Um, So I oversee all of that from the actual A&R of it and the, you know, making of it mm-hmm. through the release and the administration and the marketing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that process basically starts when someone raises their hand with a single and then it's kind of about filling all of the lanes that will help expose the single. Um, you know, it's not, it's partially about playlisting hey, I've got this pop song, but I need to make sure the pop song's also on the 
dance playlists, well, then let's go get a dance remix. But it's also, let's make sure this is played in the club. Let's make sure uh, we're getting brands buying it. There's, let's make sure we've got the version that can be in the trailers for movies. There's a lot of avenues where you can take a song and then adapt it to fit mm-hmm. the market. And that's kind of the hat I have to wear when I do the remix job. And when usually is that determined? When there is a little bite from one of the um, one of the versions, I, I wish there was a more solid answer. It can come before something's out. It can be we know this is first single off the album for Kelly Clarkson, or it could you know just be the little guy who has something going. Maybe he's got a song out and it's streaming well on Spotify and. They're afraid the streams are going to start dipping. Well, let's get some other versions out there and some other playlists mm-hmm. and get those streams back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have a uh, number of tweets that we're possibly going to get to this hour. And uh, Olivia, who is our student co-host, is going to read one of the tweets to you. And please answer to the fullest extent of your knowledge. <laughs> All right. All right. Pierre says... What are some interesting experiences you've had in regards to conversations that discuss what talent is? How do you and your peers agree on who's talented and who isn't? Hmm. Very good question. Okay, so, (laughs) because A&R is is simultaneously about what we collectively think, but also what you are going to fall on the sword for. So half of it is, I think this good, this is good. Do you also think this is good? And the other half is, I know this is good. I'm not going to let whoever's above me tell me this isn't good. I have to sign this. So it's a, it's a balancing game. There's no easy way about it, but it definitely causes tension and knowing how to navigate those, you know, corporate situations is an important part of the job. You're doing, in that case, you're a salesperson. You're trying to sell these people on your gut. And, and I'm, I'm sure there are other things, and you can actually talk about some of the other things that you're looking at, but ultimately, we, we are, it's that whole, if you know Moneyball, Moneyball versus the scout, and you're sort of... Something in your gut is saying we have to go with this. This is this is the thing right now, the person. Um, right. What are some of the? I don't want to say techniques to make it sound like it's it's just a shtick, but um, what do you do to try and sell? Let's say I'm your boss, and I'm saying, I, Michael, I, I don't see it. I don't I don't hear what you're hearing. What do you say to convince me? So, here's the beauty of the world we live in now is a lot of our decisions are research-based. We have a team of like five people that make up our research department, and their job is twofold. One is to help educate the decisions that we're already making with our ears. It's, I think this sounds like it could be something. Now show me the numbers that help explain if this will work. So that's half of it. And then the other half of it is nothing gets past these guys, nothing. If it is 
if there is any metric that is overperforming, they will find the song. If if something is happening in a specific city, they will find it. Um, so we're seeing more and more things coming up first from the research and then applying our ears to it of, well, is this actually any good? And could this actually have a life beyond what's happening right now? Mm. And so are you got to use both to kind of balance mm. out the decision. And, are you and that's how you would get someone who doesn't agree with their decision is, well, I, I think this is a hit and it's working here. Here are the numbers to support it. Mm-hmm. And are you looking at singles deals at that point? Are you looking at single plus development deal? Are you looking at uh, longer term, bigger kind of deal? H- how do you determine what it is that you want to do with that artist? We do everything these days. There is no deal we don't do. The the, the days of the gold standard 360 deal are kind of on the way out. Mm. And I think it's now more we know we have to be in business with this specific artist we will get that deal done however we can Mm. um i i kind of find it refreshing it really comes back down to the art versus the you know screw the guy who won't give us the touring on it Um, (laughs) right so but it's uh yeah the deals are definitely changing and we're seeing a lot of deals we weren't really allowed to do before becoming more realistic because our competitors are doing them too. How long ago has that been six months? Has that been just not much longer than that? When did you start seeing that trend change? I think the, I think the trend changed with the adaptation of streaming. I think, Mm. you know, there's, you, you can now do this stuff on your own. You can now get yourself from zero to 60 pretty well. Getting yourself from 60 to hundred is pretty much impossible without a label. Mm-hmm. So we're still, there's still a need for labels, but now that you can kind of get yourself going on your own, these, these artists hold a lot more power in their deals. And, you know, because of that, we have to give a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and are you involved in the negotiation of the deal or... Uh, obviously, the, there's uh, attorneys who are involved in management, but uh, uh, is that you or who, who would it just be handed off to attorney and say, we got to get this guy or the girl? Yeah, I think I think the deal always starts with the A&R person. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't end with them. And I'm definitely no lawyer, mm-hmm. but it, it, uh, every deal starts with the A&R person understanding what they think this could be and what they think this could sell and the numbers that make sense to put up now while this artist may be like just a small baby artist needing the capital to get off the ground mm-hmm. one more yeah, is that right? yes. one more because and, and what if it gets into a competitive situation because we are one of our friends of the program is Mark Robinson, who is the uh, head of business affairs for 300 Entertainment, who you guys mm-hmm. distribute their label. And Mark yeah. was talking about there are a lot of competitive deals out there where actually what you're talking about, the advances are kind of going into the stratosphere relative to where they had been the last, we'll call it half a decade. And they're right. actually bowing out at some points because it's just getting too rich for them. What are you guys doing when it gets to a really competitive situation where it's between Atlantic and 
maybe even one of an, an, another Warner owned label and maybe Interscope or something like that. Is it all about money? Are you pitching all the things that like Paul Sinclair's division does? What do you do to try and convince, again, you're back into sales mode to try and convince the artists that they have to sign with Atlantic, they have to go with you because they're going to be that much better off long term. What, what do you say? What do you do? So I think when you get the really hyper, big, aggressive deals, eventually all three majors are going to end up with virtually the same deal. And, you know, maybe we'll give mm -hmm. way less on some things, but it's going to come down to the intangibles, and it's going to come down to the team. And that is the, the Paul Sinclair, and that is the pitch of the, you know, we, we at Atlantic, we build artists globally. Not, not throw your thing on the radio tomorrow and chuck and pray. Um, and it co just comes down to, I think, with the really hyper-competitive stuff, it just comes down to what, you know, what office the, the artist likes best. Because, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think... There's anything, if there is an artist we really want, like really want, the deal is going to get up there and match what the other majors are going to do. And if a certain major is grossly overpaying for something, so be it. They're probably going to get it. But when it comes down to it, the deals are going to be pretty equal, and it's going to come down to just the people pitching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, let's get back to what is how you identify a a great artist or an artist, mm -hmm. you know, a, a baby artist, but you see this potential, um, and you're in that meeting and you're pitching this. Would is there a meeting with several A and R and let's say and then Peter is in there too, and you have to pitch to everyone uh, why you think this is really. Um, something special and is it always uh an intangible that you just have this feeling in this gut that this artist is gonna you just feel it that this artist is gonna do it and how do you convince the others who may still be skeptical and let's put the data aside now i'm just talking about on on the music itself right um well, the first part of that, A&R is just a 24-hour game. So, honestly, we're typically not waiting for a meeting to happen, mm -hmm. get something going, or we're going to be too late. So, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think most of these deals happen at, you know, 11 o'clock at night when an email gets sent to Craig Kalman and Pete Gambard saying, this is urgent. You have to listen to this right now. Mm -hmm. That's that's the time when real deals get done. Mm -hmm. um, so that's uh, that's kind of the the pitching side of it. Mm -hmm. um, what what was the sorry? What was the other half of the well, question? I mean, you're going on your gut, and what what do you right. usually you know what do you think would convinces them? Right. It, it's hundred percent about songs. Hundred mm -hmm. percent about songs first. And I think that's just kind of grown out of the streaming market where the artist doesn't really matter as much as the song does. Mm -hmm. Because a great song is going to stream 200 million, 300 million times 
without anyone even knowing who the artist is. And I can point to so many examples of that. And now, obviously, the goal is to break an artist so that every one of their songs does that. But you can have an artist based on a song, a great song. And that's how you convince someone of signing worthy is with the song first. You have to have a great song or a few great songs. And then you have to put all the t- intangibles behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have uh, another tweet. Olivia is going to read another tweet. Okay. Sam has a question. She asks, how long does it usually take before you realize a newly discovered artist isn't the right fit for your company? So the opposite. Now you realize that maybe you guys made the wrong decision. At what point? Right. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one. Um, so uh, we, we really we live in a world right now where the consumer wins, content is king, and having more of it is definitely better than having less of it because you're getting paid out by the stream and it's definitely become more rare that we're bailing on an artist for not working. Because back in the day, you, you, you were the bank pumping up these artists before you knew anything about them. But now you're instantly making your money back on them. And this is actually a lot of stuff we see in the remix world is, you know, I'm, I'm putting – people used to be so afraid of spending money on remixes, but now I can do remixes up to 100 grand because I throw them up on Spotify, and within a week it can make its money back. Mm-hmm. Because that's just that instant monetization world we live in. Um, so I feel like we're seeing less and less things get dropped because it's more and more about the catalog you own. Things have a longer tail because you're going to go back and stream it again later. Mm-hmm. And you're slowly seeing things make their money back. And so I feel like you're, if anything, the answer to the question is it's taking longer now to drop an artist because we, the streaming gives them life even after release. Mm. That's interesting because we yeah. we spoke with uh, one of your counterparts, Steve Robertson, Steve O, who is mm-hmm. in uh, Nashville, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, about a y- two years ago, a year and a half ago, uh, and we were in Nashville doing some shows, and um, he brought that situation up where he was discussing how to sign somebody and then also how to let a band go, and he was saying how difficult that can be. It's like, uh, you know, you're saying, all right, with us, you have to say goodbye to your dream forever. You know, that's got to be mm-hmm. pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, immensely tough. Yeah. But, right. you know, I, I, I guess, you know, it, it, in today's world, it's not as tough as it was. Because all of a sudden, you're back into the ecosystem where you don't have to stop putting out music in any way. And here you come, having already built this base, maybe figure it out, some things that didn't work, you're probably going to turn around with another deal pretty soon. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I definitely see the world moving towards, you know, the the content's never going to stop, and it's still going to get out there. So the the days of, you know, the deadly drop, you're done with music forever, I, I don't 
know if that's still going to exist in a few years. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have an order to say, uh, let's say you're within eight months or so, you're dropping him and they go, oh, I just wasted eight months with this label. I could have gone, I could have taken a Sony deal and, and uh, they would have believed in me more than, than this label. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it must happen. I'm hmm. sure it's frustrating. No, no one wants this to happen. You know, you've mm -hmm. got a whole building of people trying to make you successful. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it, it's not easy on anyone if it's not working. But if it's not working and you're getting dropped, I feel like it's for a real reason. Like mm -hmm. there, there's it's probably there's an actual issue. And so then, you know, the split's probably important for everyone's health. All right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Another tweet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't yeah. I don't see a lot of I just definitely don't see a lot of the bad blood that I used to see. Mm -hmm. And is that just stopped because the industry has gotten so much healthier? And, and and I guess I, everything's I streaming so. based. Yeah, yeah. I hope. Well, that's what a lot of it is. And again, there's now a real independent marketplace. So being dropped isn't isn't death to an artist. Well, then let let me ask you then the converse because we we keep talking about getting signed, getting signed, getting signed. But are you uh, finding more artists who are saying, you know what, I'm I'm I've gotten you say. Zero to 60, I can do, but 60 to 100, I need you. Do you have any artists who say, you know what, I've gotten up to 60, I think I can get to 100 without you. Um, I'm going to pass right now. Or is that goes back to you're then selling them and saying, listen, we're the ones with radio, we're the ones with budget, we're the ones with marketing, we have all these people. Um, give it a shot, but I'm telling you, you're going to need us. Is that uh, another conversation that you have, or are more people just saying passing because they want to do it by themselves? That is that is honestly the toughest challenge right now. Because for the first time, you honestly see people get to point sixty, and then honestly think they can take themselves to 100. And now there's all these other sources that are helping them get there. And it really mm. has become the new battle to convince them they need us to get to that spot. And, you know, with, with Spotify coming in and dabbling with, you know, getting behind artists or some of these more independent kind of A&R distribution companies, there's definitely things that are boosting these artists' egos to that point. And the sell really is, you know, this is what we do for a living. We create Bruno Marses. We create Coldplay's. We create Ed Sheeran. You need to trust us that we know that step better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, but it's a, it's a tough one. And I have definitely seen my fair share of people not go with me and still not go with anyone else. Yeah. Because they, they think they have the tools to get there. And, and there's only one chance the rapper. And there's only one chance yeah. the rapper. Yeah. Right. And I've been in love chance to death. Obsessed with his music, his team is great, but you know, it, does chance it, has chance really even taken that step to a hundred yet? Mm. I don't think he really has. Mm. And if he had a label behind him, he may be. I mean, who who knows? He doesn't. You can't rewrite history, but he may 
you know, have taken that step to legendary all-time Jay-Z Kanye status. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Olivia has another tweet she's going to read to you. Right. Precursor Mentality says, question for Michael Parker. How much creative liberty does someone doing a remix for your label get? For example, how much can they manipulate the vocals and can they change the key of the song? Oh, they they can they can do whatever they want. Unless I'm coming at you looking for something very specific, like say I need something for like a specific brand needs something for a commercial or hell, I don't know. I, I'm really looking for something specific. A remixer on their first go is getting zero notes from me. It's go do your thing to this song. And then I'm going to come in as an A&R and help make it better, but I'm not going to be the one to come up with the idea for you. So they can, hell, I've seen some real wacky stuff. And sometimes that's the stuff that works. I, I personally like the stuff that really ditches the main song and becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, I know you've also been a part of the Broadway strategy at Atlantic, and Paul Sinclair told me that you've been heavily involved in many of the Atlantic Broadway cast album releases. What are some of the releases that you've worked on, and how would you say Broadway is different from the mainstream? Right. So I, while I, while I was still an assistant at Atlantic, I first got involved in Broadway with Hamilton, which is what caused us to kind of restart our Broadway, quote-unquote, division, Mm -hmm. label, whatever you want to call it. Um, So that's kind of when I dabbled in it. I actually come from Broadway producer parents, and I'm Uh the kid who swore off all Broadway at 16 years old. Uh And, of course, I start getting back into it once I, I'm an assistant because this amazing thing of Hamilton is happening and I have to go, okay, well, this is undeniable. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, ca- I can't say this is bad. This is amazing. Um, and that's kind of how I fell back into it begrudgingly. Um, since then, we've done, so Hamilton was our first one, then Dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. um, then Mean Girls, uh, just a pretty woman, um, and uh, we just lined up our next one for next year. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, for the kid who swore it off at 16, they are by far my favorite thing to do now. <laughs> I love working with them. I love working with these people. You know, working with these shows have brought us partnerships with Lin-Manuel Miranda, where we're now just kind of his home. Same thing goes with Passing and Paul, and then that's like the greatest showman. And we just keep finding these incredible people this way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Broadway stuff's pretty fun on its own, too. I, gotta, I have a question I asked Riggs, too, about this on Hamilton. How come the strategy was never to put out a single from the cast album? Because it was so immensely popular. So we really don't. Well, I know. the funny thing with Hamilton was, it's, you know, no one, first of all, this is kind of the first experiment. And as much as we loved it, 
it took time to really get itself going. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely a time and space where that the mixtape we did was going to come. Yeah, first. I didn't. Right, I I didn't have faith that that was going to. Right, do that, that well. was that was such a pipe dream. It's not even funny. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing the thing with Broadway is the show may not be locked until like a week before it opens. Mm-hmm. Which means you're probably not going to have that week in between the show getting locked and the show opening to do anything. So now I'm looking at even recording this thing a week after the show opens. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of time to get this done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes that's the case. And then there's other times where we're lucky enough to do a few things ahead of time especially because they'll need it for commercials and whatnot. Mm. And then we're able to release some stuff ahead of time. Mm. So it's not like we don't want to have a quote-unquote single or, or in release before the album. It's that we physically can't. Mm. The show's just not done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, now, with, with Hamilton, that's different. You know, Hamilton is a complete piece of work. There is no single from, you listen from start to finish, and it's the story of the show. Right. So with one tiny thing missing in there, which is a fun little fact. Um, so that's why you still have to go see the show on Broadway. Um, mm. But there, there, there is no single in that. I mean, obviously we plucked some things out and made the mixtape out of it, and there's probably some singles off of that. But yeah. the show itself, there, it wasn't meant to be that one eternal copyright single. I mean, but with... With your promotions staff, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking out loud just now. I, I'm not without any thought, but the a tune like the room where it happened or something could could become the identifying song of that soundtrack. Right, and and certain things did. My shot obviously yes. became widely accepted, mm-hmm. uh, as did just the title track, Alexander Hamilton. Yep. Um, but I, again, I think it's just the ethos of that show that you're supposed to put on that album and listen through it, mm-hmm. unlike a lot of music today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it just that just felt right, and it, it's not that that was the right answer. Right, just how we had it done and how it just started working. You know, that album just became an album. People bought the album for mm-hmm. one, and that album stayed in the top whatever for. 200 weeks. Yeah. Now, with, with uh, Ben Plack and, and Dear Evan Hansen, there was a couple of specific performances of his that could have, I think, become an identifying piece for that right. show. Right. So that one is definitely just Waving Through a Window is the single from uh, that album. Uh, uh, no question about it. Mm-hmm. That was recorded well ahead of time because we already knew that was the one. Right. It was released before the show. That that was a case, better case scenario of a way we could do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, Mean Girls, we, we got some stuff out before, but that show wasn't locked until, like, right before opening. So mm-hmm. we just didn't have the, the runway to do anything. Mm-hmm. So, so the terminology that show wasn't locked, meaning the uh, writers and producers didn't determine what the final songs and the final this is what the show is 
Uh, is that what it means by locked final script and everything? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, a show not being locked means anything could change. Mm-hmm. Numbers could change. Things could get cut. Basically, the show's just not done. And that's the issue with live theater is you need an audience in order to tell if it's good or not. So once they get the audience in there for previews, things still change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw, I've seen <laughs> multiple closing numbers to many of our shows because, <laughs> you know, once you get that audience feedback, you just got to take it to a different place. Yeah. And it's interesting that you you use the term begrudgingly you're in the Broadway thing just because uh, because of your background, you would almost be a guy, you know, the guy who would be perfect to be dealing with Broadway Broadway strategy just because you've been around it your whole life. It's it's even though you don't want it to be or didn't, you know, because of the rebellious boy you were, it's it's part of you. It's in your blood, wouldn't you say? Exactly. Mm. And now that I'm back in it, believe me, I love it. And I've started uh, working on producing some stuff of my own, right. um, but yeah, okay. not, I was I was very I was the angsty teenager right. that saw the light eventually. And, um, and, and honestly, it really it really has helped. And uh, to this day, you know, all of us, myself, Pete, Riggs, we use my family for for our questions all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, mom is on speed dial still to answer a lot of <laughs> questions about the league or right. union fees or who knows what. Right. Now, Broadway has changed, too. I mean, they've done a, a great job in trying to attract more than just the blue-headed ladies. I mean, you know, if you were still doing My Fair Lady or Carousel or it might not Bye be... Bye-bye, Birdie. It yeah. might not be as uh, as intriguing as it is now to you. Right. Yeah, Hamilton honestly really changed everything. Yeah. Hamilton brought kids back to Broadway. Absolutely. Hamilton made Broadway cool again. Yeah, and that's and why. And Bureau of Hansen really helped solidify yeah. it. And that's why Bruce did it, because it became cool again. Yep. And now, you know, with, without all of this happening in this time period, you know, the, there's a Hamilton once every 20 years, <laughs> you know? Before yeah. Hamilton, it was probably just rent, you know? Like. Hair. Maybe or whatever. Hair, Before rent, uh, it would have been hair, maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, there, very few things just really changed the ethos of Broadway. And mm-hmm. I very luckily, it happened right on the exact day I needed it, too. It <laughs> got me back in. Yeah. What were some of the shows that your parents produced? Uh, they've done, uh, right now they have Chicago and Waitress. Uh oh. There's uh, Grease, and you get your gun, Pippin, La Cage of Fall. Uh, uh-huh. the, the list goes on. Uh-huh. Matt, a very long line of shows, and I've been going to shows since I was born. Um, <laughs> so it was, it, you know, it's, again, as the kid who didn't want to do what his parents did, having something to relate with them again is awesome. Uh-huh. And now we've even set up a little company situation between my dad's company and Atlantic to work on some productions together, mm-hmm. which is like, wow, this has really come full circle. I'm getting to, you know, work on some stuff with Pops here. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good, you know, it's a good musical itself. I'll yeah. write it one day. Well, obviously what happened is your parents had you just to get to Atlantic. 
<laughs> you know, they knew 29 years ago, or however, however old you are, 27 years ago, that if we have this boy, if we conceive now and have this boy in 27 years, we're going to get that deal with Atlantic that I've been dying for since I was 16. It's right. obvious. Do you see it? it and, yet, and yet I have still not done one of their shows. I have not recorded one of their shows yet. So I'm still waiting for them to do something actually good. <laughs> just I'm now beating them at their own game. Right. Well, that's it. Well, Michael, this has been great. We need yeah. to wrap it up, Michael. Yes. Well, sorry, I, I talk a lot. No, this we're, is you know this was great. The, you have you. given a different perspective in terms of A and R than than what we've heard lately, oh, and yeah. it's. I don't want to say it's refreshing in that the other things were different. It just it sounded very positively different. I don't know the things you said. This is was a very surprisingly excellent interview we did with you more because of you than us ah you didn't think he was going to be good no isn't that what he just said no i was i was pleasantly surprised that it was better than my high expectations ah how about that Fantastic. okay I'll yeah. take it. no it's Fantastic. certainly a different perspective and not uh you do you have so many hats that you're not just a yeah. guy that's out and he's uh, got a team of interns listening all day long and watching metrics and and coming in with, you know, songs, that's what we think AR is now. And, and you go, nah, eh, eh, eh. But you're actually physically totally involved with the, you know, the pursuit, not necessarily going and sitting at Arlene's Grocery at four in the morning, but you're, you're, you're in it, you know, and that's, that was re refreshing yeah. to us rather than just being the king. Hey, I'm A&R. I'm the king here because I'm the revenue for the company. So... Yeah, that's. I think that's what Dave meant. Right. Is that what you meant, Dave? It's exactly what I meant, okay. word for word. Thank you, Michael. We're very uh, proud of you. Keep yes. it up. Yes. And, and call Thank your you so much. Come, come see a show sometime. Just let me know. Sure. Good. Okay. And, and call your mother. That's right. I, I, I will right now. <laughs> if she was listening, she wasn't All right. listening. All right. Uh, All right. Well, be. I'm a little worried about it. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again, Michael. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Michael Parker, everybody. Michael Parker from a &M. Yes. And, and we have 30 seconds, so uh, we should thank Olivia Cedron. That's the way you want us to say it, even <laughs> though Cedron um, from the planet Cedron. Thank you, Olivia, for coming from your very special yes. planet. And give a quick plug, plug to your father's dry cleaning business. Shout out Divine Dry Cleaners, Route 23 South, Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Pompton Plains, New Jersey, Route 23 <laughs> South. There we go. Every, he every piece is... To dry clean. How much? Every piece is uh, clean. Three fifty. No. No, we went up. Uh, uh, it's well, a, it has to be gracious, Tony. We've raised our prices. Come on in. Anyway, no, every, it's still a deal. Yeah. Every three fifty a piece, no matter it's what tough. it is. It could be a coat. It could be pants. It could be whatever. <laughs> wow, I think this it's is a good great. deal. This is as good as Broadway. I go there. All right, Ashley Welder and her ribs say, "Let's get out of here." Thank you, Ashley. Love you very much. Ribs thank say. you. Yeah, Red, there we go. Doctor Stabon, thank you so much for being awesome tonight. And you were just spectacular. I really as brought my it. My co-host. Yes. David Usually I'm not, but today I was, obviously. And we want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you for all your tweets. Again, thank you, Paul Sinclair, and thank you to Michael Parker. Thank you. Happy anniversary to the FMness of. Brave New Radio and All WPSC. Week. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. You know what we say at the end of every show, Olivia? What do we say? We say, Adios! I can't remember when you